Hello and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. And this is a music history podcast where I attempt to teach music history to my wife. Yeah, but he keeps muting my mic and I'm offended. <laughs> Do you want to tell them why I keep muting your mic? I'm not doing anything. I'm just <laughs> going like this. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's your time to shine. You've been thinking about this. What would you like to plug? We don't normally start with what I want to plug. Do we? Yeah. Oh. Because then after this, we just get into the music That's history. True. That's true. Okay. That's all we have other than social right. media, which you should follow us on and then give us a review and a rating and stuff on yep. iTunes and all that fun stuff. We're going to post some really, really great stuff with this next episode or maybe today. I don't know. Probably today. Probably today. So listen. We need content. Yeah. We're bad at socials. Um, You should go find it because there's really great pictures from today from the making of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two things to plug. They're on separate ends of the spectrum. <laughs> One of them is the C25K app, okay. which I've been using a lot to try and actually run because that's the only form of cardio that I feel like I can do because all of the gyms are shut down for good reason. Um, so I've been going for a quick run, and even though I hate running, it's been okay. And that's really all you can ask for if you hate running. So yeah. there's that. And background, that app stands for couch to 5K. So like it helps you go from not running at all to being able to run a 5K at the end of the program. Which so it just kind of we like were supposed to do this, we this were. summer and it's probably just not going to happen. But it just kind of like teaches you how to get into running and scales up slowly so you can handle it. I ran for five minutes today. I didn't think I could do that. And on the other end of the spectrum... <laughs> Discon Cider, Hard Cider in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> I'm not sure how far out of the Nashville bubble you can get this stuff, but it's really good. And if you don't have the ability to get Discon Cider, you should look into if you have a local distillery that you can support because a lot of bars are shut down. Hopefully most of the bars are shut down. And Probably all of them at this point. All of them? Is this a nationwide, all the bars are shut I down mean, it's now? I think it's so. up to individual governors, but I don't know any any states that have I'm not sure done a stay-at-home. I think that there are a handful, four or five. I, I was looking at the map this week. Anyway, those are people who need to be working and need monies. And so if you can go get some beer from them versus like Bud Light, I'm pretty sure that Bud Light's going to be fine. <laughs> so go support your local breweries and drink hard cider and go for a run <laughs> not at the same time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay well that was our Mika plug that for today great we need to come up with a better thing to call it i like Mika plugs Mika plugs is weird why is it weird i don't know well what would you call it it's your segment you gotta name it plug a name for it oh no <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you think about that but by next episode you should have a name. That is your homework. I have homework. And you're always home now. I am so. not always home. I am out of my home three to four days a week. Thank <laughs> you very much. I'm a nurse. Don't don't come at me. Okay. Last week. Do you remember what we talked about last week? Well, it was more than last week, wasn't it? It was a while ago. No, it was last weekend. Oh. We normally record on like um, Saturdays or Sundays. We were talking about... Hold on, we're talking about jazz today. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about 
the blues before that and then was marching music in between? Yes. Or is it the other way around? Well, yeah, but I think you just completely forgot a week because we did talk about jazz last week. We talked about jazz. Oh, no. We <laughs> talked about the birth of jazz. Oh, yeah, that's right. And Jelly Roll Morton. <laughs> Jelly Roll. <laughs> Okay. Now it was called Jazz and all that fun oh stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's our one that we had to give a warning for. <laughs> How could I forget? I don't think we need a warning for this episode. I think this one's all right, unless you're not okay with drinking, and then the plug has already ruined that, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, we talked about... Oh, my gosh, that's right, because he was Jelly Roll, like, the one who had a really serious name, and... Okay, not serious, but like hoity-toity from long ago name. Oh, like yeah, yeah, Sebastian yeah. or something Ferdinand. like that. Ferdinand. Ferdinand. Ferdinand Joseph Lament. Thank you. How do you know that? I can remember things sometimes ago. Goodness. Anyway, he, he was all like a little young dude who went and hung out in strip clubs and, and well, played brothels. music. A little bit worse than strip clubs. Oh, yep. And his grandmother disowned him. And then he was kind of mean, right? Yeah, towards the end, towards the end of his career. Well, he wasn't, I wouldn't say mean. He was just abrasive and was very adamant that he was the sole inventor of jazz. And it yeah. just kind of alienated everyone else because they were like, well, come on, dude, like get over yourself. Yeah, and then there was that racist guy, Nick LaRocca. Oh, that racist guy? <laughs> what? <laughs> Which one? The one who called himself the Christopher Columbus of music. Dear God. <laughs> and the most lied about person since Jesus Christ. <laughs> He was a member of the original Dixieland Jazz Band that did the first jazz recordings in like 1918, I think. I don't know. I might have got that wrong, but listen to the other episode and you'll hear the exact date. So today we're talking about jazz. Yes. We're talking about the jazz age when jazz got like super popular. We left off last week around like 1920, which was when jazz started to break out and was when the original Dixieland Jazz Band has started to like take the world by storm, and Jelly Roll Morton put out his iconic Chicago recordings. So mainstream America was pretty stunned about what was happening. They were just like very shocked about jazz music that was kind of coming all over the place. This was a music style that mainstream America, particularly older mainstream America, were not ready for. It was rebellious, high energy, and sexually charged. And everyone, like all the promoters, all of the kids, all of the people seeing shows, they wanted a piece of the New Orleans jazz sound because it was so popular and it was exploding. So today we're going to focus on jazz from like 1920 to 1930, sometimes called the Roaring Twenties. That's what's happening now. (laughs) Well, yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) Along with its own pandemic. (laughs) I mean, the bars are closed, just like they were in the 20s. Yep. History this repeats itself. This period has been called the Jazz Age, which was a term first coined by F. Scott Fitzgerald. It was a period of deep societal change and characterized by young people living it up. And jazz was the soundtrack while they did that. I love that, honestly. Yep. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more about like why the young people were the way that they were during this point. And I feel like they had some valid reasons. Jazz music infected and affected every part of society during this time, and it kind of, like, changed all of society. Inflated by radio, prohibition, and the developing culture of young people stylized by the Roaring Twenties, jazz had lasting influence on American culture and music. 
It's probably the most influential form of music to ever come out of America. I believe it. In the 20s, jazz emerged as its own style of music. It was, just as a bit of a reminder, a merger of African-American and European-American styles of music. Because of that, it's often called America's classical music. It got its rhythm and its expression from African-American roots, and it got its harmony and instruments from European-American styles. Which might, I mean, there are probably some instruments that came from the African-American styles too, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) It's hard to define since it means so much to so many different people, but common characteristics of jazz are call and response, improvised solos, and a swing rhythm. Which makes you want to dance and tap your foot. (laughs) Yes, we had a definition of what swing was in the last episode. And that was right. If you ask someone else, they might say jazz means something completely different to what we just said. So I think that's kind of like just the beauty of jazz. It is what you want it to be. So long as you play with conviction and earnestness, it's jazz, basically. You're going to have to bear with me a little bit here because for this episode, we're going to talk about just like straight history instead of music history. It's, it's it's all related to jazz. It's all oh, no. really, really important to understand what is going on within society and culture at this point in time. I'm really glad that I have my glass of disc and cider here to help pass the time <laughs> through this history lesson. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sorry. You can't understand jazz without understanding the culture of the time. So we're going to have to talk about that for a little bit. I know you say we have to talk about that. That's cool. It's cool. It's just that it's not... Like, you're you're talking to me, and so you're like, we have to do this. And I'm like, aw, but I know it's actually cool. Yeah. I mean, if you don't like history, then you don't care about what's happening in history, so that makes sense. Jazz owes a lot of its growth and popularity to prohibition. What do you know about prohibition? You can't drink <laughs> in my little flapper dress. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's I all. mean, all right. Welcome to my <laughs> TED Talk. <laughs> People would be so mad if they paid to see that TED Talk. Hey, <laughs> it was informational. <laughs> Prohibition was the complete banning of selling, importing, possessing, or creating alcohol in the United States. It was the result of the 18th Amendment to the Constitution that officially went into effect on Thirsty First, which was July 1st, 1919. Such a different definition now. <laughs> it probably had the same definition then. Because thirsty first was when people were like, well, I guess I got to drink all this alcohol because it's going to be illegal to own it tomorrow. So <laughs> I better drink all of it. And so it turned into the other kind of thirsty. Yeah. The country went officially dry on January 17th, 1920, one year after the amendment was approved. So I guess they just kind of like the country gave these alcohol companies time to be like all right well what are we going to do and like sell off their stock and like do all this kind of stuff and prohibition lasted until the 18th amendment was repealed in 1933 dang that's a long time yeah i didn't realize it was that long the jury is still out on whether or not it was effective some people say it did actually stem the tide of alcohol related disease and cut back on crime but others say it just led to more crime and the explosion and the explosion of like crime families and organized crime. Because they were bored and they were sober, so they were more effective. 
Sort of, but it was more like they knew there was a need, so they knew they could provide this need for people. But, yeah, but apparently it cut back a lot on, like, domestic violence, and it cut back on some other stuff. So, like, I guess it did what they wanted it to do, sort of, because that was, like, the whole, that was a lot of the reason why people pushed for it. But, meh. Jury's out. Some people say it did nothing. Some say it did a lot. So, I guess just kind of depends on where you fall. Interesting. But whatever else it did, Prohibition led to the growth of jazz because of speakeasies. I know you know what speakeasies are, but I want to like hear your own definition of what speakeasies are because I love hearing your definition of things. You enter a room. The guy. I thought that was going to be it. No. <laughs> I was like, that's you enter that's the room. like anything. The, the, the big guy standing there, he like looks at you real serious and you like, flash a password or like wink at him if you you're pretty girl. I password. don't know okay you're I don't know maybe it's a secret handshake I <laughs> don't know I wasn't there we're just and saying a password okay well you can say it in a flashy way that's okay fair you sorry fla- carry listen, on listen I this is the 20s you I flash just thought a you password, were just like okay holding up a paper like just flashing it in front of me like, I swear that's the password <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was all serious you pulled me out okay <laughs> you flash your password he turns and looks the other way. You walk down the hall. You discreetly tap on a door in a specific manner. Maybe you have to tap all four corners of the door. I don't know. I wasn't there. The door slides open. You have to like quickly pop in when no one's looking at you, okay? And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, where'd that pretty girl go? I don't know. Wow, mystery. She must be an angel. And then you descend down these stairs, and it's really dark, and then... All of a sudden, it's a big party down there, and it's basically just a bar. But like, it's it's like, it's like a party, but it's like classy party. But the the people are not acting classy at this point because <laughs> because it's been a long time since they got to have a drink. Okay, so it's what I'm hearing you saying is it's a <laughs> secret place to drink, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Password protected and behind yeah. a, a secret door, okay? Okay. <laughs> and down the stairs. The stairs is important. <laughs> it's underground, quite literally. Yeah. I mean, some of them probably weren't, but no. yours is, I guess. <laughs> so speakeasies were, as you said, were places for people to get alcohol during Prohibition at their most basic. That's what they were. They were illegal, so you had to speak softly about them in public and while in them to not alert the police to what was going on. So that might be where they got their name, Speakeasy, about it. They were often owned by organized crime outfits. By 1925, five years into Prohibition, there were 32,000 speakeasies in New York City alone. Holy cow. (laughs) Jazz became super popular in speakeasies because, as we talked about a little bit last week, it had a sort of rebellious energy to it. That type of music fit in really well with the illicit nature of speakeasies. The organized crime bosses who ran the speakeasies also really loved jazz music, so they employed jazz musicians to play at the bars. And since they were rich, because of all the alcohol they could provide, they could afford to pay these musicians really well. Some of them could. So if there are 32,000 in New York alone, it's going to be like podcasts. Some of them are really (laughs) popular, and then some of them are us. (laughs) Because everyone has one. And they're all owned by the mafia. That's right. (laughs) Al Capone, also known as Scarface, in particular was known for loving jazz music and supporting jazz musicians. 
That just made him like so much softer in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he's dead and he is not around to hear you say that. <laughs> One jazz musician named Earl Hines said, quote, Scarface got along well with musicians. He liked to come into a club with his henchmen and have the band play his requests. He was very free with $100 tips. That's so much money. Yeah. That's a big tip. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, Scarface was loaded. In more ways than one, probably. him supporting the local (laughs) musicians. (laughs) He's such a good guy. (laughs) We stand Scarface. (laughs) So for the first time, these lower class jazz musicians had the chance to be gainfully employed and people listening to their stuff every night which was ultimately really good for jazz. Speakeasies and jazz were, like, incredibly linked. Jazz may not have been the cultural phenomenon it was without the influence of prohibition and speakeasies. These bars, since they were already illegal, allowed races to intermingle. So this led to white audiences hearing African-American jazz for the first time. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Back in the days of segregation, you weren't allowed to be in an audience with white people if you were not white. So this was like, yeah, screw that, we're already illegal, might as well. Jazz really became the soundtrack of a changing culture. Women now had the right to vote and were rebelling against conservative societal standards in clothing and attitude. These were known as flappers, and they flocked to jazz. I like it. <laughs> Go get them, ladies. The flappers... Oh, here we go. Are you ready to be scandalized about what the flappers did? I don't know if it's going to surprise me. Is it going to surprise me? No. <laughs> The flappers went out without a man to look after them. <gasps> they went to all-night parties. Oh, no. They drove motor cars. Oh, the horror. <laughs> they smoked in public. Whoa. And they wore dresses that showed their legs and knees. Ooh. And they held men's hands without wearing gloves. <gasps> <laughs> so tantalizing. <laughs> Uh, they're not asking for a lot. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but because of this, mothers formed the Anti-Flirt League oh my God. to protest against the acts of their daughters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> After World War One and how horrible that was, the jun- the younger generation like completely lost their trust in the older generation, so they stopped listening to them or caring what they had to say and just kind of like did their own thing. You know, uh, it d- makes sense. <laughs> I don't know if I talk about this later. Talk about it now, and then we can just harken back to it. Okay. Well, um, basically, like World War One and that whole thing really had a lot to do with this whole culture of like jazz and speakeasies and like going your own way because people this younger generation for the first time saw that like life kind of sucked sometimes so like might as well just live it up while we can and just like indulge and have fun because like this older generation pulled us into a war where all of our friends died so like screw them we're just gonna go and drink and party Hmm, that doesn't sound familiar (laughs) A lot of young people were moving to cities, which includes a thing called the Great Migration, which was Southern African Americans relocating to Northern urban centers to escape Jim Crow laws. Jazz fit all of this change since it itself was a change in rebellion against the standard of music. 
It was improvisational and not polished. It was wild and high energy. So, like, all of that just fed into this rebellious social change that was happening in these urban cores. This was also a period of huge economic growth in America. People wanted all of the new fancy consumer products. People were, like, buying vehicles for the first time. and There was just a lot of money, and everyone wanted some of it. Or at least to pretend that they had some of it. Because people just wanted to be seen as affluent. They wanted all of the fancy new shiny things. Those that couldn't afford it pretended that they could. Basically, they saw the death and destruction of World War I and decided that they were going to live and live hard. They wanted all of the things. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Why'd you phrase it like that? I don't know. It was in my we script. want all <laughs> of the things. <laughs> Which was good for jazz because it also happened to hit popularity right as the biggest technological advances in music were coming into their own. Like recording? Yes. Like radio? Yes. <gasps> in 1894, Marconi had invented the radio. But Look it was me. <laughs> but it wasn't used commercially. But it wasn't used commercially until the late 1910s. The first radio station opened in Pittsburgh in 1920 and soon after radio stations opened around the world blasting jazz directly into homes. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. Go Pittsburgh. I spent a lot of time trying to like research the history of the first radio station mm-hmm. and I think it was really hard because there's like oh. military radio stations and governmental radio stations and all this, but I'm pretty sure the first like commercial one dedicated to playing music to people opened in nineteen twenty in Pittsburgh. I think. That's so awesome. <laughs> please correct me if I'm wrong and I'll add it to a correction corner, but I'm pretty sure that's what I came up with. It is said that in 1922, there were 60,000 houses with a radio across America. By 1929, that number was closer to 10 million. Wow. Yeah, they exploded. And this is probably an episode in its own right that we'll talk about later, but there's there was like a huge battle during this time in the 30s going on between radio and recorded music. Like, they did not work together the way they do now. They were very much in competition with each other and trying to be like, you either listen to records or you listen to the radio. You don't do both. So, yeah. And radio was winning for a long time. That sounds like the hipsters where they're like, no, I only listen to things on my record, on my <laughs> record player. All other forms of music are subpar. It's like they're the they're the generation <laughs> like that just kind of kept like, they passed that down to the... Yeah, Words. probably. <laughs> <laughs> and it probably also helped radio that it, like, all of the biggest recording stars, they would just give radio shows. Like, we'll talk about this later, but, like, mm-hmm. Bing Crosby had one, Sinatra had one, but later. Uh, a guy whose name I keep, Rudy Valley had one, and all of these people, like, so, like, you're just going to listen to their radio shows. You're not going to get their records because they're going to sing those songs on the radio anyway, so might as well just listen to the free radio. Yep. In 1927, the first movie with sound was introduced. It was called The Jazz Singer, starring Al Jolson. That's so cool. Spoiler alert, Al Jolson is our next bonus episode that we'll talk about in like, I think three episodes from now will be Al Jolson. Bonus episode. He's got a fun story. Well, this might not make you excited for that. Oh, no. What'd he do? Featuring Al Jolson in Blackface, the uh-huh. jazz singer yep. was a musical drama was a musical drama where Al Jolson playing Jackie 
Rabinowitz goes against his father's wishes to lead music at their Jewish synagogue and becomes a successful jazz singer instead. What? What's that look on your face? There's probably just so much racism wrapped up in that. <laughs> well, that <laughs> story, that plot line was loosely based on Al Jolson's real life because okay. his his father was a, I forgot what they're called. I have it in the Al Jolson script, but it's like a, basically a worship pastor for Jewish synagogues. His father was one of that and he wanted Al Jolson to do that too. But then Jolson like got really into secular music and had this huge, massive career in that instead. So it's loosely based on that. But with the addition of blackface. Yes. Well, that was just kind of, that was because Al Jolson came from like minstrelsy and that kind of stuff. So like this was later in his career. So he's just kind of known for blackface. Here is here is the last song from the jazz band. It's called My Man. Mammy. Oh, it's so bad. He's talking about the blackface, not the song, I by the way. Can't <laughs> look. Around. Really does, yeah. That was my mammy by Al Jolson from the Jazz Singer in 1927. You look stunned. <laughs> like that will haunt my dream. <laughs> that was that kind of turned into a signature song. Like it, eh? Whatever. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about my Miami, and we'll talk about the jazz singer more when we talk about Al Jolson in a few episodes. But all of that to say, all of this shows that jazz may have been in the right place at the right time. Because of its connection with rebelliousness and breaking the status quo, it became super popular with a generation that wanted to do exactly that. Because of this popularity, it was the biggest genre when technological advances were making music widely available for the first time. People didn't have to see music perform live just like to hear it. Uh, they could just hear it in their homes from the radio and records. So this helped jazz succeed in the era of segregation. Through radios, records, and movies, jazz hit exponential heights. By 1924, jazz was starting to be seen as a serious musical form in its own right. The improvised solo had become a staple of the genre, probably on the back of Louis Armstrong's playing. People were calling it the contemporary music of America. Irving Berlin, who was a very famous songwriter of the time, called it the rhythmic beat of our everyday lives. Dances like the Charleston were created for jazz band dances and further made the conservative older generation very angry. <laughs> they did not like dancing. I don't like anything fun. <laughs> dancing leads to sex. Somehow. I don't know. Not when you see me dance, but whatever. I don't act, man. <laughs> <laughs> After this, it becomes kind of difficult to follow jazz because it's everywhere and everyone is playing it. It really and truly exploded. There's not, like, one thing to talk about or, n like, the next one person to say they did this super cool thing because everyone was doing super cool stuff all the time for jazz. 
That's pretty awesome. But also like Armstrong, right? Yeah, but he's next episode. Okay, good. <laughs> I was like, no, we're gonna t- we're gonna talk about yes. this, right? Okay, we focus good. in on Louis next episode. Yay! And right now we're not gonna talk a lot about him, but Duke Ellington was one of the most important jazz band leaders and composers. So we're gonna tell a little bit of his story, just because like he's super important and he doesn't get his own episode. So I just want to talk about him hear. a little bit. Born in 1899 in Washington D.C. Both of Edward Ellington's parents were pianists, and he grew up playing parlor songs. Which Do you remember parlor songs? I do remember parlor songs. His mother surrounded him with dignified women to teach him elegance and manners. Because of his more refined style and dress, his friends started calling him Duke when he was a kid. That's an amazing nickname. It really is. Like <laughs> Of all the nicknames you're going to get, that's, that's a solid great one. sounds so far. At age 14, he started sneaking into a pool room and hearing the pianist, and their play ignited his love for that kind of music, like the more, the less dignified, non-parlor song type music. I mean, he's 14. He doesn't really exactly. care about being dignified. In he's probably tired of being called Duke, honestly. We think it's cute, but he yeah. probably did not. <laughs> he went with it for the rest of his life. So, In 1914, while working at a soda shop, he wrote his first song called Soda Fountain Rag. Cute. <laughs> he didn't yet know how to read or write music, so he copied pianist and played by ear. Later, he would take piano lessons, but he skipped them all the time, so <laughs> they didn't really do anything for him. From 1917 to 1923, he joined a few bands and toured around D.C. and Virginia, making a decent living playing piano for like dances and stuff. In 1923, he moved to New York City before becoming the leader of his own band in 1924. By 1927, three years later, his band was hired to play regularly for the Cotton Club, which was a job he held for five years. These performances were broadcasted nightly, and by 1930, Duke Ellington and his band were famous. They played at the White House, they toured Europe in the 30s, Duke Ellington wrote arrangements for like the biggest bands in swing and jazz at the time. Duke was primarily a musical composer and didn't write lyrics often. He quickly became one of the most influential artists through the jazz age. And that's kind of also another theme from jazz. These like popular jazz band leaders would set up at a club and have a residency there. And then their nightly shows or weekly shows or whatever it was would just be broadcasted on radio. Like people would just set up and just like blast. So like you didn't have to be in New York going to the Cotton Club to hear Duke Ellington playing at the Cotton Club. So... I like it. Mm-hmm. Here is Duke Ellington. Yay. One of his songs. I think it's one you'll know. Really? <gasps> what? Don't mean a thing if you ain't got that swing. See, you know the swing is what you can do. I don't think that's Duke. He also has nice. <laughs> Yeah, Duke would go on to play with Louis Armstrong and play with Bing Crosby sometimes. He did a lot of stuff. So cool. 
Must do come. Apparently he wrote the music for that song and someone named Irving Mills wrote the lyrics. Good job, guys. The like two lines of lyrics that we heard. <laughs> but then there's the whole like do up, do up, do up, do up. <laughs> I think that's improvised. <laughs> no. <laughs> you never know, they might have written it down. <laughs> The Jazz Age came to a roaring halt on October 29th, 1929, which is also known as Black Tuesday. This was when the stock market crashed and America officially entered the Great Depression. People were so involved in the Roaring Twenties that pretty much no one saw it coming at all. I mean, like some of the finance people might have, but not the ordinary everyday people. The life of luxurious spending had officially ended. Looking back on the Roaring Twenties, Kevin Rayburn said, It is the first truly modern decade, and for better or worse, it created the model for society that all the world follows today. That's kind of true. That makes a ton of mm-hmm. sense. It was a complete break from the world before it. The younger generation made their own rules, and they had their own background music while they did it. It wasn't a music that came from their parents. It was a music that they created and they made, and they made popular. The Roaring Twenties and jazz fueled each other in ways that is really hard to overstate. Like, you can't yeah. you can't have one without the other, really. Haywood Brown, who was a journalist, probably summed up the jazz age the best when he said, quote, The jazz age was wicked and monstrous and silly. Unfortunately, I had a good time. End quote. All right. <laughs> I know that, like, some people might not like that I didn't talk about, like, a particular artist or whatever, but there's just, there's so much to cover in this, in the jazz age, because there's so many popular artists. And so I had to hit on just, like, the most important stuff, which is basically just the background of what is happening and what's going on in this period. Well, it sounds like we'll hit a few mm-hmm. important people just kind of as we go, so. Yeah, but I mean, like, it just, I feel like doing a show like this, doing an episode like this necessarily means that some people get left out. But, like, it sucks, but that's just what happens. So it's more important to me that you get an understanding of what jazz was and what it meant for the culture and people than, like, who played what song at what time. Like, that's not really what this is about. So Jazz was more of a movement, and I wanted to portray it that way. If we do a season on jazz, we'll talk about, like, everyone then. So, basically, if you really want to hear something, just tell us. Yeah. But... You want to do a Broadway season first, so. <laughs> I mean, it depends on what the people want. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I had for jazz. Next week, we'll talk about Louis Armstrong, who I'm going to call him Louis. But while I was researching his episode, apparently a lot of people call him Louis, but that's not what I've ever heard. And apparently there's a lot of debate about how to actually pronounce his name. But I've always heard Louis, so I'll probably just keep calling him Louis. Interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. People don't really know, and people call him different things. Apparently, he called himself different things, too. So, <laughs> whatever. You know what? So long as he doesn't call himself the sole inventor <laughs> of jazz no, or the Christopher not. Columbus <laughs> of jazz, then I don't really care. <laughs> he can do whatever he wants. Louis is a good guy. I really liked his his story. I really can't wait to hear it because I don't know his story. I just know his music. Mm, fair. All right. Is there anything you wanted to add to jazz before we get to Correction Corner? We have a correction corner. We do have a correction corner. Ooh, no, I want to know what the correction corner is. Okay. Well, in the birth of jazz episode, last episode, we talked about Jelly Roll Morton. Right. And we talked about his father. Yeah. Who we said was named E.P. Lamenth. 
And he like left his wife and then like left him, right? Yes. Yeah. But yeah. we didn't know what EP stood for. Right. And so we just. We guessed Edward Pensive. And? This is going to be a little disappointing. Oh. It's Edward Joseph. I don't know where the P came from, but apparently he went by EP, but was named Edward Joseph Lamenth. Or Edward Joseph Morton. I think it was Morton. So, I don't know. I don't know where the P came from, but <laughs> his name was Edward Joseph. You can't just make that. You can't <laughs> just. <laughs> Ugh. I mean, Pensive is a better name than Joseph, but whatever. I'm telling Joe. Go for it. He'll My agree nephew with me. was literally just named Joseph on this day. <laughs> How dare you insult this name? I'm not insulting the name. I'm saying Pensive is better. Pensive is better than my name, too. <laughs> and then we had other Correction Corner. Um, in the episode about John Philip Sousa, which was right before this, the American March King, uh, we said that he was one of, or his band at least, was one of the first bands to record American March music on an actual recording. And then I said, we might not actually know who the actual first band was. It Do might we? just Yes. Thanks to our friends at the Centuries of Sound podcast, they tweeted us and told us that the first recorded marching band was Isler's Parlor Orchestra, which is literally just a few mus- musicians who were around when they were making test cylinders. That is so fun. Mm-hmm. And then he also, they also told us that apparently Sousa never really turned up for the recording sessions of his <laughs> band because he called it canned music because he didn't like recordings. That's hilarious. So instead, a guy named Arthur Pryor took charge during those recordings. And it was he that led it to ragtime, and he was quite the player, and he was all that stuff. But yeah. So Arthur Pryor led Philip Seuss's bands during their recordings. Go Arthur Pryor, just swooping in, saving the day <laughs> from Will Pretentious Sousa. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So now those are my correction corners. Did you have any correction corners? No. <laughs> You want to think longer about that? (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) All right. Well, that is our show. Join us next week when we talk about Louis Armstrong. And then the week after, we're talking about another jazz musician. And you told me not to tell you because you wanted to guess. Oh. Do you have any idea who it is yet? No. I told you it was a female. It was a woman. I know what female means. I didn't like the word female, so I said a woman so I could change it in edit. (laughs) 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 Like a female just sounds so weird. It sounds like I'm talking about animals. So I wanted to say a woman. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, I'll I'll just forget that I'm supposed to be thinking about it and then I'll just like say a guess right when we're about to record it. You you know you know who she is. I mean, I, d- I just, just, All right. come on, dude, <laughs> just, just for the suspense. <laughs> all right. Well, that is all we have today. We will see you guys next week. Goodbye. Don't need a thing if you ain't got that swing. Don't need a thing. All you got to do is swing. Thank you.